Ajib, welcome. How's it going, Grant? <laughs> One thing I want to say about um, Najib, is that it right? Yeah, so he goes by two different names, so that's the only reason yeah. why. Um, you can call me Mo. It's fine. I, I'll, I'll go by Mo as well. I think it's fine. It's easier. No, we're not doing that. No, we're not, no, doing, we're not doing that American bullshit. Um, <laughs> so is that he seems to, you seem to strike a really cool paradox from, you know, in, in life, the people that you meet who want to tell people what to do, how things are, and just want to like, they want to download all this information. You typically don't want to hear from that person. And Mo, I'm an American, <laughs> Najib is sensitive to that and doesn't want that to be the main focus, which is why I think he's got people who want to hear what he has to say. And, you know, myself and yourself here on the protagonist podcast are two of those people. We want to try and create an authentic conversational environment to get to touch on some of the deeper things that we feel like make somebody tick, but more importantly, how they're leveraging kind of their life experiences toward a life that where they've clicked off autopilot and they're taking responsibility. And sometimes we get to hear some really cool things that people are doing that other people might not be aware of on the surface. And that's the whole goal here. So we're going to try and keep it, you know, Grant and I are not trying to pretend that we're really experienced hosts or anything like that. We're going to try and play that role, but also just create as authentic of an environment as possible without that. This is a waste of time. With that, it's a valuable chunk of time, I think. So, just my thoughts. Bars. Bars, baby. Um, Najib, I was going to maybe do an elaborate introduction of you, but um, I'm going to actually let you take the reins and just tell us a little bit about what you're into right now. Yeah. So, I've uh, been kind of all over the place. I did do the four year university, went to Ohio State. And uh, the Ohio State. Oh my! They might be doing well, but I was never the biggest like patriot of Ohio State, except for it did. You know, it was a great place. It really was. I was salty at the time, but it really was. Why are you salty? I I, can, I, I will certainly get into that. I think there's like going to be an evolution of uh, uh of uh of saltiness, saltiness, and then acceptance, and then more saltiness, and then a little bit more acceptance, Thanks. and then just like. Sounds like a hero's journey. That. Yeah, yeah a bit. Uh, undergoing transformation yeah. at the Ohio State University. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. yeah, so I went to Ohio State. Uh, I was there for quite a while. I'm like technically still there in different ways. So uh, I, I studied computer science, math, and physics. And uh, I did many other things along the way, like dance, genetics. And I think that kind of illustrates how all over the, I mean, it's not really that all over the place, but I was pretty all over the place in school because I really didn't know what it is, like what it was that I wanted to do. And I sort of navigated towards things that were like the easiest, the easiest that came to me that like the most naturally. And there wasn't like a one-to-one correspondence between easiest and, you know, actually satisfying and gratifying at all. And there was a lot of issues there, but you know, I've, I've not graduated. I'm still doing some classes there, doing some, some math. But uh, I've been working, just doing some Mimi Tech things. And uh, I think what I'm focused on right now is really understanding the things that are important to me so that I can take all of this sort of pent up, I don't even know if it's aggression or pent up, like a desire to act 
towards something that's going to last. I don't quite know what that is, but that's sort of the, the underlying person I am currently. Yeah. And before we dive into those ambitions, because I've heard some of them and they're incredible, how did you like pick your initial major going into college? Like, how did you know where to start and what was the process for you jumping around and getting three different majors? I mean, that's insane. So, full disclosure, other physics is a minor. Okay. Kind of skipped out on that one. <laughs> Slacker. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I went in with math. And it was because math has been very kind to me. I'll, I'll put it lightly. So uh-huh. uh, it was sort of one of those things where it was actually one of the tools that let me sort of like take the reins, right? I was, I was in, I believe, like the early stages of high school. And, you know, this goes back a little bit further, but one of the recurring themes in my development is questioning why certain things are the way that they are. And one of the things that came to attention while I was in school was why I am why am I in this like particular program? Why am I not allowed to take multiple courses of the same subject in high school? Why is it required that the curriculum tell me to do this and not this? And I said, okay, I'm just gonna ask. I'm literally gonna walk up to the, the I think it was like the, my counselor at the time, and I was like, hey, what do you think of this? I'm going to double up on math. And he was like, no, it's like halfway through the semester. Why would I let you do that? And I was like, I'll show you why. Uh, I had a good enough track record to that point because a large part of my identity then was like doing well in school. So I kind of was like, you know, I was doing well and on good enough terms with my current math teacher, which was like some geometry class. And uh, I was like, hey, what do you think of this idea? And for, for whatever reason, she took, it, she took the bet on me. She was like, I think it's fine. Just go talk to the, uh, the instructor teaching algebra or whatever it was. And uh, if he says yes, you can do it. And I literally was like, hey, dude, this is what I want to do. And I, like, there's something very interesting here. It's like I was so convinced that I could do it, and there was no doubt in my mind. Regardless of how hard it actually might have been, I was like, maybe it was like actually stupid. I was just like, I need, I literally need to do this. It was that important to me because it was like the only thing that was like really going on in my life. I was in high school. Wow. And uh, I don't know. He saw it and he was like, sure. So I literally went in halfway through the year. I took the final for the first half of the semester. It was miserable. It was terrible. I was like, wait, what is this? I didn't even know what this is. He handed me like, a, like a pile of notes and was like okay go do it he said you could do it and i was like okay it's time and i kind of went through the process and uh i don't think i did super well in the exam but for whatever reason he was just like you're, you're like in in my books right you're just like you, you you put in the effort and i know what you'll do make it up to me next semester i did the thing you know like a practiced and I got it and then from there on out I was just like wait a second this curriculum is like taken to be so rigid why is it that way and then I just literally from there on out I was like the annoying kid in high school who was just like making up the curriculum as I went (laughs) and it was very very directed to to math wow you're like an analytical teacher's worst nightmare oh yeah 
Oh yeah, I mean, it was it was annoying for the counselors. Like the counselors got annoyed with me too, and I was just like, why? I don't. I actually at a certain point I was like, I don't even care. I should be able to have agency over this decision, and furthermore, you should be supporting me, right? It's like this kid is super interested in this thing. Like, why are we gonna like tell him not to uh, to do it just because it's gonna be annoying and some paperwork? Yeah, like, what's that about, dude? Let me ask. I don't know if you, if you're gonna if you're gonna touch on it then we'll just like save it for later. Yeah. But I don't want to miss this because I, I actually want to know what you, what is it that caused you to have that resiliency or that like laser focus, that like undaunted approach to like without the fear of like, failure. you said, I didn't care if I, if they said no, I was going to do it basically. And you hear stories of resolve like that from an athlete or an inventor or whatever, where like the option of it not working doesn't compute. It's not one of the options to them, but you can't fake that. I don't, or maybe you can, it hasn't, that hasn't worked for me. I'll just say that like trying to pretend to be that focused, that it's like it gyps the system. And then the person's like, they can tell that it's not authentic or something, but like, why for you, do you think that it was that at a young age, you're talking to adults about that, which is, you know, socially, that's a hard thing to do, at least for a lot of younger kids to like, Talk to an adult about something serious like that. So, like, how did that happen? I think the short answer is I was angry. Okay. Which is, like, now that I think about it very clearly, the reason why I didn't care about the consequences or think how difficult it was was because I was enraged. Like, have you ever been so, like, pissed off with something that you just, like, nothing else computes? It's like the, the single point of focus is, like, the thing that you're upset about. Yeah. Yeah, so it was that. It was, like... Wow. And it was, very, I mean, it was, like... Not for the healthiest of reasons, because it was mostly pride-driven. It was just like, hey, there's people who are younger than I am taking these classes. Why am I in a class behind? It was, it was like some trivial stuff like that. But that's like, it really like, it like cut me as a right. like kind of, it was just like, no, <laughs> I, I, I literally won't let this happen. And that was the, one of those points where I was like, I will try to exercise control. And I need, I need this to change. I need at least to address this because I will just be fuming and nothing's going to happen. Wow. So anger. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Like, I, you guys, have you guys seen the MJ documentary? Of course. Yeah, yeah. So I, I watched it, like, I guess kind of recently. And now that I'm, you know, actively thinking about this, he would create stories, right? Right. Reasons. And I think I, it was like, it kind of eluded me how that would be so compelling but if i think about it now i've done a similar thing all right i was creating the story which might have been artificial and superficial but the real like the realness was the anger i was just like i can't this is injustice if i don't do something about this it, it, it's like against who i am wow i think that it's an interesting point to call out because i think how we've been defining what a protagonist is in a lot of ways is someone who recognizes when things are happening on, on autopilot or things are just like, basically protagonist kind of identifies when things are just trending along and, and, and being provided, uh, like you're being provided a script for you to follow. And um, it, it sounds like you recognize that there was just these, kind of, um, you know, things that were happening in, in life that were just kind of bullshit. Like, there was no real reason why you can't take two math classes. There's not a physical 
reason, a logical reason why you couldn't. Um, but it had to be compelling enough for you to, to stand up and like go against the momentum of the status quo. And so like, why, why was it math, you think, that was that spark for you to kind of resist the, the, the large momentum of like a bureaucratic um, high school education system? <laughs> it's because that was a large part of a facet to my identity. I think uh, something I'll come back to as well is when I was younger, intellect was king. It's part of how I was raised. It was part of being a first-gen like in the United States, first-gen immigrant in the United States. It was like, lay low, study hard. And that's predicated on some kind of intellect. So it was in a weird way, the system that I was trying to succeed in, like attacking the thing that was going to let me succeed. It was kind of paradoxical. And that's where the anger was coming from. But if I go one step back, and I, really, like, I, don't, I don't want to do this in like reverse chronological order, but like logically the thing that makes sense is to address why and what kind of, like why intellect played the role and what kind of role did it play. So like I said, I, so I came here when I was two and a half years old. I, I mean, you're not even consciously aware of things at that age, but you are developing language, which I would talk about that. I love that stuff. Um, and you came here from where? From Pakistan. Yeah, I was born there, 96, good old days. And uh, came here, uh, not specifically here, but uh, New York, then California, then Texas, actually, specifically Dallas. And uh, then went to Ohio for God knows why. And uh, how did you move from city to city? What was the cause of that? Family. It was like, uh, you know, there's like someone who receives you in New York because they're like super hyped and they'll like come to you and then drive across country to California because that's where my family was. They're in like LA and they're like up and coming parts. Like, side, side note, my parents had the opportunity to buy a house in California for I think it was like $60,000. And they went back to that area recently and it was like a mil and a half. Wow. And they were just like, quit. <laughs> so just a side note. But anyway, yeah, family there, family in Texas, and then finally family that the Texas family knew in Ohio. And I landed in the northeastern corner of Ohio, right next to where LeBron was from, which is, you know, Akron area. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So LeBron's our next podcast guest. I think so. Yeah. He has to be. Yeah. He's next up. And uh, yeah, so I was there and I grew up basically with this mentality, like I said, of, of laying low. There, there, was this, there was this feeling that, A, we're, we're, we're new here. Like, you don't want to make too much noise. You make too much noise, there's a chance that we get sent back for something. It was like, a, it's like an irrational fear. My parents worked literally as hard as they possibly could to get here. And the last thing they want to do is for their kid or themselves to, like, make a small mistake and be sent back. Right? And, uh, the thing was, you, you don't want to make too much noise, and the only way to succeed now is through education. That's it. Bar none. Nothing else exists. No arts, no sports, nothing. Education. And is, that, is that influenced by your family, or is that a cultural thing? Uh, I want to say, I, I don't want to make broad generalizations, but from a lot of people I, I, I speak to who are of the same generation as me, it's like a very cultural thing. And it's because, it's, I mean... It's a third world country, and uh, there is some merit to working really hard, like to go get a, a good paying job and just like 
not live on the streets. Like there's, there is that. You can work as hard as you want doing manual labor and you will make like 20 bucks a month or something ridiculous. And my parents, parents, they've seen this, they've lived it. My parents have seen it and they don't want that for their kids. So there's like that problem of coming to, coming to grips with that. I didn't come to that until way later, but regardless, it was focus on your studies. And that's like how I grew up. I didn't really do any sports until high school because it was just like, where, what is that even about? I had literally no concept of that being a thing that I would ever do. And uh, I think slowly as I grew, grew up, it was like, okay, this is the thing I'm training. This is the thing where I'm putting all my eggs into this one thing. And I'm just going to keep shoving them in there. And uh, it was that combined with, I think, my predisposition to think that like, we're special. It's like, I had, I had, for some reason, it, it, I think it originally it took the form of this a guy feels special, but then it eventually took the form of why is he or she special? And I would just look at people that were worshipped, like presidents, uh, like specifically one was Newton. I was just like, you know, I learned about him with the whole apple in, uh, I think it was grade school. And I was just like, I wasn't in awe of this dude. I was just like, why are we talking about some guy from like, hundreds of years ago what's the deal why is he special why are the teachers like so excited about this guy what makes him different than i am why aren't people paying attention and thinking about me right and uh i grew up with that so when i got to the point in high school where it was just like okay this is where i put all my eggs into this basket and you're going to challenge this now right it was just like no i I absolutely will not stand for this this is, this is like where I, like this is the hill I choose to die on. And that's why when you were saying like talking to adults, whatever it was, it wasn't really talking to adults. It was talking to people who were in my way. It, they were in my way in a very sort of like antagonistic way. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, and it's not even like, it has nothing to do, I don't think it really has to do with them personally. I think it was just like the concept of being held back for, for reasons out of my control. Like if I had to put like a headline to it, couldn't let it happen. So you said you felt um, sp- special, like not special, but you felt like there was something about you that was unique. Um, why did you have that feeling at such a, how did you have that feeling at such a young age? I mean, you, you had brothers and sisters. I have a sister. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it really has to do with I don't think it really has to do with like parental attention. Maybe it does, but I think it's more so like if I'm going to put all of like the effort I have when I'm like what like eight years old, <laughs> if I'm gonna put all of my effort towards something, like why am I not being recognized for it? Mm-hmm. I want like I'm working really, really hard. Where's the where's the where's the the result? It's very intangible. Like you can't really tell that you're getting smarter, whatever that means, even if it means anything. But I didn't have any feedback. Mm. And I think that's a really part of it is like you need some kind of like feedback or some kind of like recognition. And I think it was just lacking. And it was just like building anger, building resentment. And it wasn't until like later on where it was like, nope, this is where I take a stand. Mm. Wow. I never actually thought of it in these terms, but I, I very much did feel angry. It was the thing that compelled me to, to proceed. Mm. And uh, it, was, it was math. 
the, the thing I chose to focus on because it was just like so it was so natural I was just like I would do the, these assignments that we were like given and it would take me five minutes and then for the next 55 minutes or however long the period is it's like I just sit and play on the computer and it was just like if I'm looking at it now how could the teacher see a kid doing that and not be like you're supposed to be here like should, should I go talk to like the, your, your counselor and be like you want, you want to go try something else none of that the entire year I very distinctly remember quickly finish go play on the computer it wasn't anything productive either on the computer. Like I wasn't like learning how to code or anything. I was like playing video games. So you are kind of taught at a very young age, like this is going to be your one thing. It's going to be education. You're going to, you're going to put this towards something. You gravitated towards math. How did that happen? Did you have someone like a person in your life that was kind of like a mentor or someone that like really, uh, instill in you a like a desire to to seek out and and try to better understand the mathematical world or how did that how did that come about how how was it math uh, I think I was just good at it it was like a very shallow reason I was yeah. just like it just came unbelievably naturally yeah. and uh, I got it lit, later on this unbelievable confidence I'll talk to talk to you about led me to a very dark place uh, it was just good I. I remember in high, like my senior year of high school in physics class, there's there's talk about uh, the, there's a force equation. It goes negative GMML, GMM over R squared. And I was like, wait a second. And then they show you the potential equation. It's like GMM over R. And I was like, is that just the derivative of this equation? And I'd ask my, my teacher. I don't think he said anything. But I later go on to, to school and study physics. It turns out that the negative gradient of the potential is the force. And I was just like, whoa. I was able to intuit that when I was young. Like, what, what, why am I learning this four years later, right? <laughs> and it's like, if I had the mentorship, and it, it's not an excuse, I don't really think about this often, but I just sometimes, it's just like, if I had been directed and had the mentorship, where would I be? I don't know. You, like, it's, it's like if you would have been directed and had somebody to help you cultivate that gift, the question is, where would you be? But I'm wondering, where would you be without this drive you're talking about? Like, if you didn't take responsibility, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, and get outside of the, like, think outside of the box, then what would have happened to you? You know, you That's just graduate on time and get good grades and get really good at video games. And that's it. That's actually you know? a great point. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's a lot. I wonder if if any listeners relate to that. And like, there's probably more of the other thing, because this is one of the first, at least in this context that I'm hearing of somebody at that age, standing up to it doesn't sound like you're being disrespectful or just like, inherent, just for no reason, countercultural, like it seemed like there was an actual goal that you had. And then you said that these people were just kind of almost the imagery or the icon of something standing in my way it's not these individual people with their lives and it's nothing about that it's just like they're standing in the way i wonder how many kids see those things and don't think that there's another option right you know that don't think that that path is is even a possibility yeah i bet there are adults we still don't see it Mm -hmm. right 
and I think that, that you mentioned this, I'm actually very grateful in retrospect. I'd rather have been woken up than to just be succeeding and mindlessly doing something. Not yeah. that it was necessarily going to be mindless. It's just like I didn't feel aware and in control until I took the stand. Wow. Right? So it's just like, I mean, imagine betting your entire, like, like all of your life's effort on one thing. And it's just like, that, that's too many eggs in one basket to not be upset. Dude, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just like, and I really, if I really think about it, ever since skepticism, all over the place, it's, there has never been a moment since where I've just taken something at face value. It's like, why has this been there? And it might not have even been this like articulate or like intentional, but why is this there? Does it have to be this way? Is it there for a good reason? It's beautiful. And you said once you, once you um, broke outside the, the mold of, of this system that was telling you you had to study a certain uh, set of, of classes, you had to take a certain set of classes, you're like, no, uh, let me go talk to the administrators, let me go talk to my teacher. They ended up accepting your proposal. And then you said from that point on, you, it just became second nature. You're continuing to question everything at that point. Yeah. What were some other examples of things you began to question after that? Well, I mean, for, for the rest of the time in high school, I just I took, I started going to the university right, for, for some of my classes. That's like one very vivid example. It was like, no, I'm, I'm literally not even going to stay here anymore. Why can't I do this? And it was like, again, pieces of useful information that were literally out of the realm of my like, comprehension were given to me. Serendipity, almost. And it was like, okay, I'm going to go do that. It was literally, I think, not only was it being skeptical of the current like, sort of status quo, but it was also being more receptive to a random opportunity that might come by. Because it was like, those, use, those opportunities used to have less validity, less validity because they were different than what I was used to. Yeah, your eyes were kind of open now to yeah. the opportunities that were coming. Yeah, I mean, that's like one example of the following year. And then... Another example was I actually went to, uh, to do like a summer school at a university. And that was a real moment of growth because that, that's the moment, well, not moment, but sort of time period where the, the intellectual me, the me who thought I was special was like challenged a bit and was like, oh, wait a second, maybe I'm not the bee's knees. Maybe, maybe Newton was Newton for a very particular reason. And that was a rude, a rude awakening. Mm. Yeah. So, well, dude, so what, what you're intuitively describing, whether you're, I mean, and you're, you're an incredibly smart dude. So I'm not saying, you know, that it would be because of a lack of information necessarily, but you know, the, the protagonist concept is influenced by several things, the philosophy, one of them being the hero's journey. And in each you know, truly great story where, you know, the protagonist undergoes this transformation, what you're talking about takes place where the, the antagonist is either a, a force or it's an individual person or it manifests in different ways, but it's always the, the, the focus of that is always for you to just like remain as you are. It's not necessarily for the protagonist not to do a good thing. Because you can do good things, you know, I don't think you're doing anything morally wrong to finish your math, play video games quietly in the corner, 
you know, go to your next class. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that, you know, at least what you're describing, not to psychoanalyze it, but it's this beautiful picture of at a young age, intuitively knowing that you're meant for more. And then at that moment, it's like your clock starts. And, you know, from that moment forward, you, you can't go back because you've already, you've already risked too much. Like there's too much on the table at that point. You said, I've already put so many eggs into this basket. I, I cannot fail if, if failure means not trying. You know, you can and will fail in the journey in that process, but not, you know, you can't, you can't go backwards. So this is, this is incredibly compelling for me. It's really interesting that it happened at such a young age for you. I feel like I wonder if your transition coming from another country and some of the dynamics that you've had to experience, you growing up way faster than a typical American kid who is told they're special. You don't have to find that out actually intuitively and believe that you're told by your parents everything you do is so amazing artwork that sucks is hung on the fridge you know all that that kind of thing you know and it contributes to this idea that no matter what i do i'm special i'm amazing i'm unique and 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 it seems like you're almost saying the opposite not that people don't have uniqueness and and things like that but you it seemed like you were saying why you know are these people being celebrated um, nothing against them. I didn't feel like you were saying, I hate those people or they're my now arch enemies, like fellow classmates, but you're just saying like, why is this system set up this way? And then you sought to challenge it. And this is an incredible kind of start to this journey of like, wow, that's, that's what's at stake. But this is the reward is potential like this, you know, awareness of this happening and you can't go back. Yeah. Yeah. There, there really is a, once you've seen Whatever it is, you cannot unsee it. Right. Going back would just be, it's, it's impossible because I would, I would be living a lie. I would straight up be living a lie. Wow. And that's compelling. There's nothing more compelling than being honest to yourself. Mm. And I think that's, like, the thing I started off with, with like, I'm trying to figure out what is this, this sort of compelling thing to do. It, 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 it's difficult because it's somehow trying to externally define my set of actions towards some goal that are, that are in line with the person who I have become. That's, I think it's like, it's a very difficult task given that, you know, I'm changing all the time to cut, to sort of settle in and like focus on like a, a target. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're saying it, it, in other words, correct me if I'm wrong to remain congruent to the person that you are and the person that you're becoming in real time is a challenge. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, it's easier to be an avatar who's static and never changes, responds the same way to each situation. Your true self is hidden somewhere in here, but you're out here, you're doing the right thing, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're playing by the rules, things like that. That's a, a safer existence. Um, but then, you know, once that's exposed, you know, you can either kind of hide, I guess, and become bitter and make excuses and, you know, kind of embody this, you know, victim mentality. I don't want to say that there are not people who are victims of, of things and trauma and things like that. So not wanting to be dismissive of that, but it seems like there's this identity centered around, you know, that, and then it seems like there's identity, an identity centered around you know, if you want to say progress or transformation, 
And that's what we're, what you're touching on is what we are, what we're trying to get words for and language for to embody this protagonist mindset. And it's that it's when faced with those two options, it's, it's choosing the path of most resistance. And um, so I, I, man, I just feel like you're sharing your journey so authentically and it's verifying, which is very exciting for me, one to get to hear from you and learn and grow, but also that we're on the right track with what we're trying to do and see, are there others who have felt this way, who are experiencing this kind of thing and have chosen the path of most resistance and have suffered for it, you know? Right. I, I, I like to, to think about what if both of those teachers in this case just said no. And I was like, yeah, you know, I shot my shot, going back, pack my bags. Yeah, maybe it was, what was I thinking? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It could, it could have happened. 50-50 maybe, right? And it's kind of beautiful that it worked out for me, but that's not always the case. And I think... I, I can't... can't even sort of fathom, right? right? Being the person I am right now, what would have happened if they had said no? Wow. I don't know. And it's a, kind of scary leaving it up to that kind of chance. And that's why I... I mean, being, being who I am now, it's like... A no is just a no. It doesn't mean anything. It's like, move on. Like, a no is a no right now, right? Tomorrow, maybe it'll be a yes. And I think that's, that's hope. That, that really is rooted in hope. But the thing that, like, the, the imagery that I have right now for, for someone who's, like, listening and uh, not knowing whether to, like, take the step and be, like, ask the question or, like, make the move, whatever it is. It's like, there's this... Uh, this picture of uh, the, you know, the hermit crab, there's a shell, like a big shell over there, it's empty. And then there's a, a tiny shell that you're in, right? You have to crawl out of there and expose your like soft little body and try to get to that shell. That, that's one problem. And now in my, in my head, the evolution of that problem is now there's another crab right over here who's also looking at it, mm. right? It doesn't have to be a zero sum game. Maybe that crab shell is bigger than yours and you go for that one. But there is a risk to crawling out and being exposed. And being exposed. And the hardest thing to do for me, and this is one of the two things I said, I was, I was saying lay low, right? And go study. That was like my identity. The lay low part is so drilled into like the deep recesses of my brain that every time I'm in the process of running for a new shell, like my claw is just like latched on to the, to the one that I was in. And it's not until it like cracks that I can actually move on. Wow. And I think the, the metaphor is unreal because that's how I've sort of progressed in my life. The, the decisions seem to be of more and more consequence and more difficult to make because the shells are bigger and bigger, right? But it's not until, and this is because maybe I'm just hard it's difficult for me to learn. It's not until I like destroy the shell, like there is no possibility of wow. going back that I, I, I move on. Wow. But there's a danger in that, right? It's like if, like if I become like super self-destructive after those teachers say no to me, I don't think I was, I mean, the consequences weren't dire enough for that to matter, but I'm sure for some people it feels that way. Yeah. And I think the thing to remember is that you can do it sustainably. You don't have to crush your, your like, sense of safety 
and move on. Wow. Like, maybe the strategy is to literally pick up your shell, move as close as possible to the other one, and then do it, right? I just have a difficult time like learning this because I have to like literally eliminate every single sense of security to make the move. Wow. But, but sometimes that's what it takes, right? Yeah. I, I mean, how do you, how do you decide? I, I don't know. Yeah. So it seems like you're touching on two things. One of them is that you're not necessarily advocating for a volatile lifestyle that is a make it or break it every single moment. I'm either going to eat Chipotle or Chick-fil-A today. This decision defines me. It does, you're saying it doesn't have to be that. No. Like it, you can take on information, make decisions, know that each one doesn't define you. So there's that. But then there's also this other side that you're saying, but it's not not important to recognize the reality that there are make it or break it moments. Yeah. And for you, you're describing a potential make it or break it moment where you can take the path of least resistance. You can kind of stay in your box stay in your shell, so to speak, and ride that one out as long as you want. Maybe that one lasts for a long time and you stay kind of limited in that. You outgrow it potentially to keep with the metaphor. Or you leave that one behind. You're fully exposed. You're talking to adults, which the reason I keep bringing that up is that's incredible. That At that age, you're talking to an adult about what your path should look like and willing to face resistance there. So that already requires a burn the boat mentality. Um, and you're, and you're saying that is in a sense, a make it or break it moment. All of them shame you. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than get back. Yeah. Like that kind of thing happens. That's a huge restructuring of how you see yourself. Maybe what you think about what it's like to step out. And I just want to point out for people who might be listening and I'd love to hear your, what you would say to them. What do you say to somebody? You said, and a no is a no right now, but it's because you've experienced that. What about somebody who doesn't have hope? They put themselves out there. They were, they were shut down, you know, yeah. and now there's a, a deep fear. There's a trauma associated with stepping out and burning the boats, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think the way to proceed if I were in that situation, and I've been there again many times, of course. <laughs> is to take the sustainable approach. It's to... Seek out tiny nose, right? And then build up the bigger ones and then bigger ones and then bigger ones. And so you're just like, wait a second. This isn't life and death, right? This is just like, this is another version of what I was just doing. I don't, just because this person says no to me doesn't mean it's the end of the world. That's hard to accept. It's hard not to feel. But I, trust me, if you do it enough, if you've been told no enough and you've been okay afterwards, which if you ask for an extra refill on your drink, and they say no. They're like, okay, have a good day. That's it. And then maybe next day it's like, can I have an extra burger? The guy in the TED Talk. No, it's okay. Maybe the next day it's like, hey, how you doing? You want to have like a coffee? No. Next person. Hey, you want to have a coffee? Yeah, sure. It, all, all it takes is one of those instances be a yes. And then you're just like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm back. Let's do it. Let's, let's do the next thing. And that, I think that's the beauty is it's a very sustainable approach is because I love that, you're yeah. increasing your tolerance. And not only are you increasing your tolerance, but it's a law of large numbers. You have, if, you, if you ask 100 questions and the probability of someone answering the question, uh, answering yes to a question is 1%, one of those people is going to say yes. Wow. And maybe it's on the hardest question. There's a beauty in that. Mm. 
So what were some ex other examples of small questions that you started to ask to build up that tolerance early on? I think it was, I don't know if it was that intentional early on. It was just like, hey, uh, this, this other thing that's like really accepted exists, can I go do the alternative? Like in college, it took on its like own life because, you know, when you're, when you're doing, a you're like studying a major or something, it's like, yeah, you have this little bit, you have a bit of wiggle room to choose your elective and your stuff. And I was just like, wait a second, can I like skip all of these prerequisites? Or like, can I uh, take two of these things at once? Or can I go do this and replace it with this? And it was like a whole mishmash of things. And it was like, it was like equal, equal parts yes and no. Right, and that's an example. It was just like I think school school is like very contained. I think in terms of life, it's been, hey, uh, what do you think about like it's like even going up to like a close friend and you have an idea, right? It's 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 interesting and it's quite telling. And I've had this experience a couple of times where you you um, you have an idea for for something. For me, it's usually some kind of like uh, social like uh, like let's make a book. Like, let's do a little bit of a children's math book. That was an idea I pitched once. Or, like, let's make a cartoon. Or, let's do a YouTube channel. And here's the premise. It's, like, something in my head. It sounds so amazing. And I go to one of my, like, best buddies, and I'm like, hey, what do you think about this idea? And they just, like, laugh at it. Right? It's just, like, after you've been laughed at plenty of time, you just don't even want to ask anymore. Right. Right? And it... And, and, this is like the process. These aren't really extreme examples, but in that process, it's like, I don't want to ask anymore. But that inherently limits the relationship you can build with that person because you literally cannot be yourself anymore, right? So it took the form of, hey, you want to, uh, I don't know, do you want to spend like a couple of minutes like talking about this idea? Then to, oh, do you want to like go check out this YouTube video? Or like, hey, you want to do this? The next thing you know, you're just like, Hey, I have this new idea. What do you think about this? Wow. And they're just, it's just like, I'm open to asking again because I'm not like terrified of what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah. And it's been amazing because now I'm just like, I have a much deeper relationship with those people and I'm not even afraid to, to ask. Furthermore, when I talk to a person I don't know, I'm, I'm right there. Like, I'm sure you've experienced this, but I'm just like, it doesn't even matter anymore. I, I will not small talk. Right. Because I've trained myself out of it. And it's very interesting because most people, most will respond to that authenticity right but for other people it's very off-putting because they're used to like hey how are you doing good how are you and nobody remembers what the other person said right so it's like even the day-to-day -day where i'm just like hey uh i meet somebody and like i'm gonna go, you know, go grab coffee i'm gonna go like you know just like talk about this thing and it's like the deepest depths of my mind which it's coming on a bit strong i know i don't maybe if it works for you it works for you right Thoughts? Go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, I've experienced that, um, you know, in, even in sales, like I'm in business development and you're talking to people all the time on the phone, cold calling, and it's so easy to just be on autopilot and be like, hey, uh, Jim, how's your, you know, how are you? Like, and they're like, good, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they know what's about to happen. And, a really compelling good. Right. <laughs> good. What do you want? And, you know, you go into your pitch and depending on, you know, you can give a very monotone, 
straightforward pitch and he can be like yeah i know what this is like i'm not interested goodbye and you're like oh i did my job or you can sh- like try and rattle the cages of what that like standard format of of a of a conversation of an interaction would look like and and what you can do is you'd be like hey man how's your day going and he's be like yeah it's good and then you can share something about yourself like yeah man i just got back from a wedding this past weekend um weather was great and uh first time i danced in six months and say something like kind of startling not like too crazy obviously in that kind of situation but enough to bordering on inappropriate of course (laughs) that's my motto for this for the for the situation the social the rules are you're supposed to be just doing your job right he's supposed to tell you now's not a good time right and schedule a meeting for next week and he doesn't or he does or doesn't get on. Right. But in that interaction, by, by kind of oversharing and, and kind of like shaking it up a little bit, you get him to let his guard down. And now he's a little bit more intrigued into what you actually have to say. This is all kind of like psychology and to an extent. And it's been talked about in different like trainings I've taken and um, different like sales books I've read. But like what you're saying is, is similar. Like instead of just going up, you know, meeting someone at a, random bar and be like hey like how are you or you know whatever like the standard thing like what do you do um just be like hey what are you like what are you really passionate about like what what are you afraid of maybe even or something that's like outlandish what are you afraid of (laughs) is it me me? okay i figured um but like i love i think that's what you're saying is like asking the deep quite being not being afraid to step outside of the lines and, and ask like real questions to get people like to disrupt the norm of of what like we're all expected to act like in a conversation between two strangers and i think for that i love that you said it sustainable because for that to be sustainable you've got to be comfortable being quote unquote outside of your shell and hear no like be rejected you know because if you try that one time and then you know someone's like I don't, get, I don't care about your wedding. Like, don't call me again. <laughs> that could be equally jarring for you and could be like, you know what? Let me just stick to my script. Right. Like, who am I? Let me, let me. And that's why it was so compelling that, you know, in the, in the game of life, you stepped out and at the right time, right moment, that situation worked out for you. And maybe there are kids across the United States who tried to do that same thing and that didn't happen for them in that way. So I love that you gave one, a tangible path forward to say, like you, you said, there's no shortcuts. You can't just, there's no secret thing that someone can tell you. There's no substitute for just like creating a new habit as, or a system, you know, where you're training yourself and teaching yourself and learning something. And then based off of your experience of reality, that gives you confidence, you know? And um, that's really compelling to me. I think that, you know, the idea that to be authentic, to put yourself out there is actually the gift that you give to others, whether they're ready to receive that or not. I'm not saying 100% authenticity all the time, just expose yourself completely, physically or otherwise. I'm not advocating <laughs> for that. But this idea that, like, I don't have anything to give except what I have, who I am. I've d- I don't have anything else. And um, I feel like that's what you're touching on. And I think that's kind of one of the common themes, the, the ethos behind 
you know, protagonist is that you, you don't have to pretend to be anybody that you're not, you know, the world has enough, whatever you fit in the box, you know, things like that. The world actually needs more rattling of the cage. Like, like you mentioned. Well, it, here's, here's my take on it. It's like in the bar example, the person I want to talk to at the bar is the person who's like going to answer that question. Right. Because that's going to be an interesting ass person. Right. Right. Well, I want to like, Part of what makes it easier to ask those kinds of like those kinds of questions and to, to, to even be sort of present in the most pivotal moments is to have like the right community. Right. If like one of the things I love to do is just talk about some of these things with my buddies and they're just like, holy shit, you like really did that? Like for for whatever it is. And then I see like they call me a few like a months later and they're just like, yo, guess what I just did? And I'm just like, fuck yeah. And then they're just like, they're floored by it. And it's just like, you can't unsee it. And there's like the awakening that happens. And I think if it's as simple as like, hey, I'm going to, there's like, there's like a, there's rules to a conversation. It's like, this is we have to keep formality. We just turn it on its head every so often. Maybe the person doesn't respond, but they go home and they're just like, huh. Well, that person exists. Like, that's pretty rad. And maybe I'll try it. Like, all it does is, all it takes for someone out there, right, to sort of awaken to this and like sort of start start driving again, get off of autopilot, is is this like moment of opportunity, right? It's like you have you have an opportunity, you you take it, great. You don't, it's fine as well. But if you take it and something happens, it's like you can't un unsee it. And part of what I think protagonists would do, and like what I hope to do for 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 people who need it, is just like give you another opportunity. I'll just I'll see you on the subway if that happens again, <laughs> and uh, start a conversation. Be like, hey, how's it going? Uh, I'll tell you about like a little bit what I'm working on and how I'm like super hyped about it. And hopefully, that's one of the the moments where you can choose to be excited about something too. Okay? I want to talk about what you're working on, but before that, I want to know. You mentioned there was some really like high intensity struggle type moments that you experienced going from high school to college, you, you realized, you know, you're maybe a smaller fish in a, in a larger pond. What were those struggles, those roadblocks that you faced and just talk about that experience? So it was actually a couple of things. Well, it was, it was very much related to math. And this is, math is a very circular thing that's existed in my life. I think my, my hero's journey, right, is like very much, there's a whole math sort of thing to it. But uh, when I went to college, Majored in math. I was also doing neuroscience for some reason. I don't know why. It's kind of interesting. And uh, I was like, give me the hardest class you got. Right? And I, I'm coming from like a, like a no-name high school. I went to like the, one of the biggest state schools. And I was like, this is, you know, it's a state school. It'll be whatever. And uh, the system starts at 1,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. Those are like the big boy, like the graduate students take that stuff. Start at 4,000. It's like, let's go. And uh, my work ethic was still a high school work ethic. And I didn't have all the associated freedoms. So I was like very much constrained to study when I was supposed to study. So I went in with big brain. I'm feeling well. I didn't have the work ethic to put in to that class. And furthermore, it was a whole different type of math than I've ever experienced. Like I'm sure you guys have heard of like proofs and stuff, right? I'm writing paragraphs and paragraphs of like English writing, not, not equations right 
And it's like a whole different way of thinking. And I wasn't prepared for it. They're like preparatory classes you can take that a lot of people do. And uh, it was just like, hit a wall. This thing that I put all my baskets into, it's like you take a basket of eggs and slam them against a brick wall. That's what it really felt like. I was in the darkest depths I've ever had been to that point. And it was just like, I remember very vividly, uh, having gotten my first exam back, it was like a D or something. It was the like first low grade I've ever gotten in my life. And it was like, oh shit, like, what? And I was just like roaming around. And I was like, I could become a bus driver and be happy right now. Straight up, I was just like, that's what I'm, that's how, that's what I'm good enough for. Wow. That's how I felt. And then I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this will be fine. I'll, I'll like work hard, whatever that means. Uh, I'm going to go talk to the professor. And uh, I talked to a professor who told me some like weird stuff that really got into my head. It was like, there are mathematicians and there are math fans. Figure out which one you are. And I was just like, I'm probably just a fan. Maybe it's just innate. And it was always going back to like, Newton was right. <laughs> Seriously, it was, that was like the thing that was going, going, back, going back to. I was like, oh no, what have I done? And that's where like the chaotic journey of doing all the other stuff came from. The next thing was like physics. Physics is close enough to math. I'll go do that. Oh, shoot. Physics is kind of hard too. I'll do genetics. Oh, that's kind of too boring for me. Oh, I'll go, go, I'll go do... Um, uh, computer science. I only have like a couple of years of uh, tuition money left. And it was just like, okay, I could finish computer science fast enough. Oh, that's, that's good enough for me. That's literally what it was. And uh, the thing that was still there was just like, oh, like, I'm not, I gave up. Wow. Right? I, like, and this is not, this is like, I'm giving like kind of like a weird picture. This was my first semester, like 2014, right? First semester of college. I dropped. I took. I literally took the the L, and uh, I was like, okay. I, I literally conceded. Like all that fight I had in me is gone. I'm in the darkest steps. Like I don't care anymore. I stopped going to like classes and stuff. I did that for a year to follow, and then uh, it wasn't until my third year where I was just like, I don't know how it happened. Actually, it was just like it was still in my head. It was like in my head. Like, dude, you quit. Like, why did you quit? Like, why? Like, what, what was the reason? You, you afraid? You afraid? Like, you didn't even finish. You literally quit after getting, like, the second, like, or third homework after the first exam back. What's that about? Like, do you really believe, do you want to believe that it's innate? Can you believe? Can you accept that it's innate? Like, what is, what is that about? And, uh, I, I, again, it was a pivotal moment. I was just like, I'm going to register for it again. Same one. Like three years, three years later almost. And at this point, I'm literally like, I'm not going to graduate on time if I take this. Like, not only am I not going to graduate on time, but it's five credits. Like, a typical class of this three. So I'm like paying for extra however many, like thousands of dollars or whatever it ends up being. And not only that, but <laughs> I decided to do it with the next hard one in the sequence. So I did two at the same time again. It was, like, it was like a parallel in my mind. It was like, I'm going to go back to that. And the difference is I can't conflate not working hard for not being good enough. Mm. And I think it was that. It was like that concept I slowly naturally came to. I was just like, let me think back to when I failed and assess what was the true shortcoming. And the true shortcoming 
the main difference between every time before and then was I did not put in the amount of work that was merited. Mm. And I blamed all the surrounding things, but never considered that one. Wow. I do it. First exam. 50%. (laughs) Straight up. Like, it was just, it was just not, it wasn't happening for me. Right? And I was like, no, I'm not going to quit this time. And I worked twice as hard for the next one. 70%. Twice as hard. And literally exponential. I was like on this every day, laying down, dreaming of this stuff. Work harder. 80%. Work harder. 80% again. Work harder. And this was an interesting class because it was like one of the freaking hardest classes I've ever taken. It was a full exam every two weeks on top of homeworks. And it was like the, the class. And uh, some, something happened towards like number, exam number like seven. It doesn't even matter what number it was. It was like later on where I was like, wait a second. There's like, there's a pattern here. I'm like, and, and I didn't, so but, but there was a pattern here, basically like how to answer these questions, how to think about these questions, how to like really dig deep and get good at the subject. And it wasn't, it wasn't all at once. It was after having put in that exponential like sort of history of work from that semester alone, like sleeping with these things, like that I finally, I finally looked at a problem and I was just like, I can like just look at that and I know how to approach it. And then it happened for the next one. It happened for the next one. Ever since it's been like, wait a second. There's like a meta structure here of how to actually approach, even approach these problems. There's like a, a super, very systematic way of how I can be successful at this. 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%. And just have, like the rest is history. The rest is literally history. And uh, the reason why I didn't finish was out of practicality. It was fear again. It was just like, maybe I'll get to grad school and I'll do the same thing, but then I won't be good enough. Wow. And uh, I was like, I, I graduated school. I had an open, it was, I was still on the math degree. I have like two classes left, which I'm currently doing. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I got my first job at a startup and I was like, voice inside me again, the voice inside me that seen the darkness and was like, I cannot accept this. It was like, I don't care how much you pay me really. I was making good enough money. I was like written into the contract. This is the, the hill I will die on. I will take one semester every, one class every semester. Doesn't matter when during the day I will go drive to school and I will take it. I finished one, I finished two, and now this is three and four and I'll be done. Um, yeah. It's like, to, like next week it'll be done. Dude. Gotta celebrate that with you. <laughs> this moment is so epic hearing the culmination of a long journey. 2014, man. Since 2014. Yeah. I've been an undergrad since 2014. Well, dude, and in every hero's journey, the hero will be unconscious of his inadequacy so there's just this like blind confidence that's displayed and then they face you know the antagonist and are completely destroyed you know and then they're aware of their inadequacies and maybe i'm maybe i'm not cut out for this you know like all of those thoughts that you said 
And then your journey, this process that's led you to this place where you are, in a sense, in the process of mastering what once could have destroyed you. Mm-hmm. It, it could have wrecked your identity and you would have had to come to grips with that and basically been living a lie. You would have just believed, I'm just not good enough. Yeah. So what, what would you say if, if someone's like, if someone says, I don't think that I'm good enough for whatever particular thing, what do you say to that person? Like, is it like the, you've heard it before, like, you know, whether you think you can or can't, you know, either one is true. Is it kind of that or? I personally, so I think the lens I was viewing it through was just like, I think there's like a lot of other parts of my development that kind of played into it, but I very much believe in like temporary existence. I'll go there, like we're going to die. And uh, the question I posed in between the being at the deepest depths, and this is like only one facet. I've been through like other stuff as well. And uh, to, to actually registering for that class, it was just like, am I going to be okay if I am whatever, 80 years old, whatever it is, knowing that I gave up and didn't try again? Mm. The answer was no. I didn't know myself that well. But I knew for a fact that it was just going to mess with me forever. Like, it was going to prevent me from doing the best I could do in everything else in my life. Because I would always be thinking about, literally, what if? Right. And I just didn't want that noise. I was literally like, I need to eliminate, even if I fail again, I tried. I, I need to eliminate the possibility of having, having that noise in my head. But you did fail again. You got a 50% on the first test you took the second time around. Yeah. And how did you push past that? Because that's I a wasn't... confirmed fear. That's a fear confirmed. Yeah. I was right. Turns out I got even worse or whatever. Yeah, it turns out I was a fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how did you have like the... I couldn't. I couldn't let it happen. Like straight up. It was so jarring to my identity at this point i was still very much just like thinking of being the person that was like the intellectual it was too tied to that i was like can't be real can't be real i just didn't try hard enough work harder did you at any point i know you you've mentioned that word identity a couple times did you ever give up that identity to actually like six like was that a initial like seeing yourself as the intellectual who just like crushes things without trying yeah, did yeah. you have to give that up to get like how, that's good you point. mentioned that what are you no longer you don't see yourself any longer as the intellectual guy and you see yourself as now somebody with a resilient work ethic or what was that so it's interesting because i pull like the initial part of like the intellectualism was rooted in that everybody is the same i have the capacity that you have that you have and if I basically, this wasn't so mature, but it was like, I could get there too. I can get to Newton. That was the idea. I didn't know how. The means were completely like bogus. I get to that point where I have the failure. I go through the process. I get there again. I fail. I think it was sort of at that point where it was just like, let's, let's figure out what the problem is. The problem is I still have the identity of, not putting in too much effort and succeeding, right? I can get to Newton. The 
the, the thing though, the issue with that mentality was it's like, I'm not going to work hard. I'm literally not going to work hard enough because I think I am holy, right? It's just like, here's the, then, then there was a very strict reformulation of the, the, the identity. It was whatever, wherever I'm at right now, the thing that will differentiate me from where I was before was the amount of work I'm willing to put in. That's literally the only thing I can tr- control at this point. Wow. And it was, it was a tough thing to accept. It was just like, fuck, maybe I'm not special. And to go from like growing up and being embodied by I am special, I am special, I am special, telling yourself that every single day you wake up, right? And then going through the depths, right? It's just like it only took a going through the depths to, to realize that, no, you're not. Hmm. At least temporarily. So like, came out the other end. But no, I'm kidding. It's, <laughs> right, right, right. it's just like, you're not special. Work harder. It, was, it wasn't even heartless. It was just like necessity. Again, it, like, I think the, the thing to focus on in the, like, sort of the depths is what can you control? And it was that focus that led me to where I am now, which is certainly not the depths, right? It was just like, if I kind of dwell down here and meander down here, it's, it's going to end very poorly. I have to express some kind of control. And I think that is deep, like deeply rooted in my disposition of like optimism. Mm. I think it was that take that was just like, I'm going to get out of this. I really will. I have to. But the shift, it sounds like, was the way out of it was not just to remind yourself of this desired identity. I'm an intellectual. I can just crush this stuff. Yeah. It wasn't that. It was... There was hope because you knew, like, all right, well, I'm willing to do whatever it takes at this point. Yeah. I'll die to that whatever identity, that part of yourself kind of just, like, that's not who I am. Yeah. Like, someone who just, like, goes in half-focused, high school work ethic, Mm -hmm. and just, like, achieves high marks at that level. You then become somebody who engages in the, the necessary process to get there. Yeah. That's inspiring. It, it's interesting because like I'm trying to get to the the identity of the intellectual and like the holiness, it died. It died in the pit. Right? I think that's kind of the beauty. Is when you get down there, it's not just you getting down there. It's all the shit and the baggage with you getting down there too. And I promise you you will survive, and that baggage is not going to survive. Wow. And you're going to come out the other end completely changed. You're going to be free of it. Because it's, it's really... The survival instinct really knows what is legit and what is not legit. What do you believe that's super legit, and what do you believe that's just a complete lie? There's no room for lies down there. There really isn't. Wow. It's, it's like you're saying they, those don't serve you down there. No. Whereas the lies or the false reality or the avatar, that serves you well up here where... Things are defined, well-defined. Yeah. There's rules. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're playing within the framework of what's working and that's fine. But if you want to venture outside of that, th- those lies, th- those are not going to be helpful for you. No. They're going to be destructive for you. Right. I think it's actually kind of beautiful because 
this is this is very, very interesting. If you if we think of like the pit, the depths as this like lawless place with no rules, no structure, only thing that can survive is the true self. Everything else will perish, as it were. And uh, the interesting thing, though, the, the caveat, sort of the opposite is, if you live within the confines and rules of civility and you are being told exactly what to do, the true self can hide, can take, take a backseat. And to venture outside of the rules, there has to be part of you that is the true self. And you must know, even approximately, the true self to venture outward. Mm. And it is in the process of venturing outward that you throw away the shit that's not real. It's only then that you can do that. Because otherwise, it's going to be there. It's going to be safeguarded with all the other security. Mm. I'm curious what, what um, like you mentioned a couple times, you, you know, you, you had to take ownership uh, of, of kind of your autonomy in deciding what, what was real and what was not. And your junior year, you're like, you know what, I, like, I'm going to try this again. Like, I'm not going to accept this narrative that I'm telling myself that I'm, that I'm not capable like what inspired that that framework of thought? I mean, to me, that aligns pretty heavily with with stoicism and that you know you're you're taking control of what you can control, and you're like, hey, I can work twice as hard, and I can keep doing that. I can keep doubling down, and maybe I'll fail. Maybe I'll get a fifty percent on the first exam again. You did, but you worked. You, you focus on exactly what you could control and, and you said, I'm not going to let like external forces dictate the outcome of my life in yeah. this domain. So like, what, was there a philosophy or was there a, a person or, or a, some source of uh, like basically teaching that, that you drew inspiration from that led you to, to that decision? I think unfortunately, no. And the, the fortunate bit is that it was out of necessity. I think there's something to... I was... I mean, this is... A, I think it was like two years later. I was still alive. I was still roaming around. But it's like... The reason why I didn't quit after the 50 on the first test was like, wait a second. I made it through the first time. I'm still here. Interesting. We good. We'll try it again. Right? It, it wasn't that peaceful, but it was just like... It's not life and death. It's really not. And if it's not life and death, then that means my identity didn't die down there. Would you say then that new, that new failure presented you with also new potential or new opportunities, whereas the first time you fail, it sounded like you said, I'm, I'm destroyed. Yeah. This is it. I'm out. I'm out. I'm not. This is who I wanted to be, who I thought I had the potential to be. That's not who I am. I'm going to choose another path, a path of least, you know, whatever's easiest. Path of least resistance, straight yeah. up. Yeah, so it was calling to you. And then now, though, that you ha- you've had more information, you know that there's that voice saying, I'm not going to let you rest. I'm always going to remind you yeah. of, like, that moment. So now you've got a new op- option, basically, that I don't think was available to you before. Because no. you hadn't faced that you know, that test, literally, um, you know, and so you don't really know. And so it sounds like you're saying facing that and failing was a key part of your journey as opposed to like, it was such a bummer. It was so sad. And it was like, you're, you are saying it was hard, but you're not saying it's bad. 
that that happened. And you're talking about the pit. Oh, it was shit when it happened. Right. Yeah. But then you're talking about the pit in this beautiful, like you said, it, but it's beautiful because you're the false self, the, these lies, these things that you've been protecting yourself with won't follow you there. Like they'll, they'll Ooh. die off and you're just kind of left there. And then with being left there, you chose to face it again. Yeah. So it's like a couple different big defining moments. It's not just one necessarily. It's a journey. And you're citing a couple specific examples, which is really beautiful. And I'll bet there'll be more specific examples in your life. Oh, yeah. It's not a one, a one and done thing. No. We're going to celebrate next week when you finish. But then there's going to be a new journey or process after that. And I mean, would you say, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Would you say something like that is the way of, you know, since we're, I mean, we're doing the podcast, so protagonists, but how would you, what is your philosophy? What's your mindset? That's the, you know, that's, that's how I've chosen to live. Is there a way that you name that kind of lifestyle or attitude? Is that, you, you mentioned hope. You mentioned like facing like you said the word responsibility like how do you if you had to define that lifestyle what is it so before, before i answer i mean i don't want to go too long i mean we can't but it's just like those were the those were like the trivial ones in my example in my opinion rather in my life there was one june of this year that was i think the pit you go back to it evolves right mm. it, it evolves as you get you get older you get more experiences your beliefs change the one I was in the most recently was the actual one of serious consequence. What I was telling you before was just like school. Like, it's a very contained system. Like what happens when you're outside of school and you experience the pit? Right. Because the rules are very clear and cut in school. This is how you do well. This is how you don't do well. In life, don't know, right? Especially with me going in being very skeptical, I was not really, there was no real way for me to assess how successful I was. Money was not the answer. Relationships were not the answer. I, I, not that it shouldn't be, but like at the time it wasn't. It was just like a mission, utility for something. I don't know what it is, therefore I have no real metric. And the, 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 the thing that got me there, and this was the scariest one, this is to date, this is the, the deepest I've ever been. It was a matter of reality. It was what is real, what is not. There's an interesting, I forget who, this might be Descartes. He, he, he writes something called Meditations. And in it, he, he's an older man, maybe in his 40s. And uh, he's on his like chair with his pipe. And he's just like, okay, I've lived everything I need to live. I need to, I've experienced everything I need to experience. This could be bullshit, by the way. This is my interpretation. Full disclosure. And he was like, I'm going to assess every single thing I'm sorry, I'm going to assess whether every single thing I can conceive, perceive, is real or not. Is the world I am seeing with my eyes real? I don't know. Is the world that I'm experiencing with my hands real? I don't know. Are the relationships that I've built real? I don't know. Is this, is this conscious existence real? I don't know. And so there's this very, very deep sense of and I think, again, it was intellectualism. Like, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm like, 24. I was, I was 23. This was, like, this was right before my birthday. And uh, 
I was I took on the game. I literally took on the, the, the meditation game, which it is not a game I suggest. It was it was if I were to describe it as it is there is this this thing inside of me which is undying. It is this ego. This ego of the intellect is my identity. It had a super fast muscle car and it was driving down the highway at like 200 miles per hour. And I was just here watching it run away, right? And the questions I was asking were quote rational. It was like, okay, I am perceiving this experience, this internal mental experience. Is that mental experience different, different than the experience I would have if I were out in the world? Answer is no. Okay, proceed. Is this thing real if the interface is completely identical? I don't know. Proceed. It was just like that. I kept sitting there. I was literally in a room meditating. And one of the conclusions I finally got to was, what if I'm asleep? I don't mean to be too woo-woo and whimsical about this. But in my real mind, there was a very, very seemingly reasonable question of whether or not I was in base reality. Right? It was just like, I took it a bit too seriously. And uh, that was the point where I was just like, like, it was jolted awake. I was, I think of the, the way I see it, it was like I was on the head of a needle. Everywhere I looked, I was literally looking into the pit. Darkness, darkness. The thing, there was like this infinitesimal point I was standing on, illuminating outwards. And it was that point where I had the decision to make. I accept the conclusions of this rational thought, quote, rational thought, or I don't. I trust the driver in the 200 mile per hour muscle car running away with all of the things that is me. Or I say, go, like, it's fine, sleep, I'm here, I'm still here. I, did, I, I, I don't know if I'm conveying this really this well or not, but it was literally a matter of what is my be- belief of the perception, like what, is, what is my perception in the belief of what is real or not? And, uh, yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's worth noting at this time, you have not done psychedelics before. No, 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 no. This is completely <laughs> sober. This is completely sounds sober. I was in a meditative state where this was all visual and it was very real. It was viscerally real. I had a decision whether or not I wanted to stay on the point of that needle or I wanted to dive into the depths. And it chose, it literally chose to exert control. I was like, no. And the reason is because I realized if I accept the conclusions of those thoughts, if I even accept those thoughts as being reasonable thoughts or rational thoughts, I have given that intellectualism full control of my life. Wow. Full control over my life. And I have to accept the consequences. And I didn't. And the reason I didn't is because I went back to math. Literally, I could say for a matter of fact, math probably saved my life. 
there, there is very, there are very interesting conclusions. I mentioned Godel, Kurt Godel. Mm-hmm. This guy has like haunted me. Uh, it's an interesting story, about, but uh, there, there, there are just like there are very interesting notions in set theory where paradoxes emerge, where it's like the set of items that cannot be described in words, but I've just described it in words. How can it exist? It's rational, it's completely logical, but it has no inherent truth, right? And I was just like, wait a second, those thoughts, that, that, that idea, those, those, rational, those rational thoughts, the, the, the intellectualism, why am I taking it that seriously if rationality is inherently fundamentally flawed? Holy shit. And now, literally wake up. Change person forever. I am the person I am today because of that very pivotal moment. I believe it, I wrote it down. It was like June 23rd. And oh. uh, it was that moment that I think I started on my real journey, my real, like I'm properly awake now. I have my skepticism for everything. But because I am skeptical of everything, I also give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I give mm-hmm. everything the benefit of the doubt. I have no reason to believe that the world is out to get me. I have no reason to believe that you have any will, like ill will towards me. I have no uh, reason to believe that the system is out to get me. But I'm not going to let it mindlessly drive me around because I mindlessly drove myself around. Wow. And I will never let that happen again. Furthermore, I have full agency now, right? I have full agency over my, my thoughts. And this is what I mean by that. If I record a video of myself, and this is, this is something I actually suggest everybody do. Take a front-facing camera, and anytime you think you have like a really wonderful, thought-provoking idea, record yourself. And view that video a month later. You'll be surprised by what you encounter. You'll be like, wow, I can't believe I had true conviction in that belief. <laughs> Straight up, for like 90% of my stuff, I'm just like, wow. But regardless, uh, I take most of what I think with a grain of salt. I like to, to keep track of trends. I like to do things very sustainably. And furthermore, the thing that had complete agency and control over my life is eliminated. I am no longer defined by completely being intellectual. That's not, it's not healthy. It's not, it's not reality, right? I think what I'm defined by is the, the, the patterns that I choose to ex- exude like sort of a, sort of like a, have control over. Like, I care very much about my physical well-being. I care very much about my mental well-being. I care very much about my relationships. And all of those things are patterns that are real. And it's beautiful because I can work very hard towards something. And I can get the result. It's always been this interesting thing of feedback with me. I've never had, like I was saying, the first thing when, when I was young, I've never had feedback. When I left school, I didn't really have feedback. But that was because I was seeking external feedback, right? I was literally like, where are the rules? Mm. I had unknowingly stepped outside of the game and I was still trying to get the game to give me rules, mm. right? It's kind of weird. Like it was like, where are my points? What, what, what is that about? And uh, it wasn't until this sort of like uh, meditation game that I was just like, no, no more of that. Wow. When you say the meditation game, were you, you were sitting down 
for specific amounts of time each day and, and actually reflecting on these thoughts? What, what did that look like? Uh, one, one thing I can do is I can visually create sceneries, like 3D, 3D structures, and just, yes, hours and hours and hours a day sitting down in a chair, meditate. And you do that for, you do an hour, two hours, three hours a day? What, what I is can that? do it. I used to be able to do it for like 16, 17 hours, like easy, and fall asleep, repeat. Really? Oh yeah, easily. The sense of time is eliminated. The visual, the visual brain like, capacity is unreal. I could literally start on one thread, eight o'clock in the morning, not be done until like ten p.m. Fall asleep, repeat. So this is this is how I know that you are an actual genius, and I'm going to say it. Is the moment the 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 pit moment you described initially in college, where you actually experienced. Like real failure, two years later, you reflected and you went back to that moment. That you described the situation you just described as your kind of secondary pit moment was all thought of and, and kind of dreamt of inside your own head. It wasn't even really a, a real tangible experience. It was, this is a reflection you've had, you, you meditated upon. And it, was, it sounds like even more impactful than the first experience of of failing in, in math and going back again i mean that to me is just like i'm 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 wow like i'm super impressed by that and i'm just like i'm curious what what you yeah because i almost was waiting for the the second hit so to speak to be a thing that happened i thought you were gonna say a death of a family member or loss of a job or these right rational these these things that would make sense to be really upset about you know but according to the game like that's how that would work but what you're talking about is something much deeper for you which i can't test what you just said you know i can't say you know because that's in your experience but yet it seems to have a greater impact as grant said on you, the person you are today, than a physical experience of rejection or whatever. Yes. The, the, the defining point to my, of my life to this, this point. It, is, it was a point as well, like very much in all, all senses of the word. It was very much constructed in my head. Was the intent in sitting down for hours at a time to get to that moment? Or what, what even led you to sit down and, and start to visualize in the first place? So at first, I mean, it, this is, again, so like a lot of these things were happening in parallel. Like the whole visualization game was just something I did when I was a kid. I was just like, sit down, close my eyes, imagine all the nooks and crannies of my house. And then it gets to the point where I sit down, visualize like scenery outside, sit down, construct 3D scenes, and then construct moving scenes. Like here's an elephant, here's a tiger, like the whole thing. And uh, it was a manifestation of that. I was just like, wait a second, I can use... I can use this to evoke a real emotional response, like visceral, like I can feel like serotonin, whatever epinephrine, whatever the neurochemicals are, neurotransmitters are, and feel it as if I were having a real experience. And I was just like, throughout the course of this, this series of meditations, it was just like, I need to come to a conclusion about the meaning of life. It was such an ill-posed, stupid thing to do. It was just like, I need to know. I have the machinery to keep going, to keep going. And it was, it was interesting because it was like the double down mentality. It's like, didn't get it today. 
go spend 18 hours tomorrow, go spend 20 hours the next day, go spend, you know, I'm just going to keep doing that until I get somewhere. I didn't know I was leading myself towards like destruction. Mm. And if I were to describe it in like a non, like not kneel on the top of a head kind of way, it was like there is this thing tethered to me, which is like the intellectualism, the raw, like, this is my identity. And I had to like take a fucking rusty knife and just like sc- scrape it, just thousand cuts, just get it out of there. And that was the meditations. So you, you use the word destruction. Is it more of like a rebirth a moment where you realize this, that this you that you've been identifying with up until this point is not really you? Yes. As I think this, by destruction, I mean like to, re, to be reborn, it takes a bit of destruction, right? It's like the Phoenix thing. Uh, yeah. I think it's just this, it's interesting because I've like never really spoken out loud with multiple people about this. But if I, if I had to say, like, irrationally, uh, unconsciously why I was doing it, it was probably because in the same way that I couldn't live down not trying again for the class, right, as, like, menial as that might seem, I couldn't live down, like, not trying to answer this question with, like, all the effort I possibly could. And the question was, what is the meaning of life? Something to that effect. I need to, I need to sort things out. I need to sort out what I'm about. And it was very ill-posed, right? It's like, what does that even mean? Like, but it's the point? funny because that's what an intellectual would, would say, like, about, sure, the meaning of life. That's the big question. And you're like, I'm going to figure it out. But the, the, the funny thing is, is that that's not even the intellectual thing to say. Right? It's funny because... I, I'm, I've, come, I've come to the other side, and I, I believe, like, I don't identify as being an intellectual, but I, I feel smarter than I was before. And it's because I can look at that question and be like, the fact that I was thinking that that is the primary question of existence is actually hilarious. Mm-hmm. Because there is no evidence to suggest that that is a good question, let alone a question that has the answers, right? Wow. And, and, and furthermore, if you believe that that is the question, how holy are you to know the question, the most important question to meaning life? Like, fuck, what? Interesting. There's so much age. This is like, yeah, it's like so intertwined into, okay, I believe I'm super rational. Therefore, I believe that the questions I asked are the best questions possible. Right. It's so arrogant. Right. right? It is. But no, it's like, I can't, I cannot accept that. And this is why, I mean, think, I, I kind of lead into the thing. I was like, the stuff I'm working on right now is linguistics. The reason I want to understand linguistics is because I want to understand what is even conceivable in the mental language. Right? Is there a set of questions that exists that is inaccessible to the human mental language? Is there a set of answers that is inaccessible in the human set of like, like the, the mental language? And the answer is probably yes. If it exists in math, which is the sort of beautiful language that can, can composes the, the, the rules of like the physical universe, then what's the mental language of like a piece of that? Right. So what are the questions? that you're focused on now? Uh, let's see. Or to circle us, if you don't mind, to circle us back to what you said at the beginning, you said there's a lot of, I think to use your language, you said there's a lot of passion, a lot of excitement around this next season. 
you've got a lot of that and you're in the process of figuring out where to channel that toward. Yeah. You, you know there's something coming up next. You're not exactly sure what it is. So are there questions associated with that that are helping you find what that path is? Now you're going to channel all of this toward. So this kind of answers, I think, both. But it's just like the question is, what am I genuinely excited about? And what am I recurringly excited about? has to do with the patterns and it's like yeah system i will i will follow those things and i feel like i hope you can feel that i'm like genuinely excited about like for example the language thing dude i'm like the, the book i'm reading right now is like another stephen pinker's book it's the language instinct it's talking about how you were taught language in grade school and how a lot of it is like super outdated from like i'm talking 1600s type stuff and there's like this new beautiful infrastructure on how to understand language and could you imagine being taught that at a young age and like like properly grasping this beautiful tool that we have. Like, again, doesn't matter. I'm doing it now, right? So it's just beautiful. It's just like there are these rules that dictate the literal configuration of speech that are built into this, this thing, and we don't know how to experiment with it because most mostly it's like unethical to like actually cut in and like try to figure it out. But also, we don't know how it works well enough, even if we could. And it's, it's an acceptance that there might not be one end-all target, one end-all question, and that I could work on something and enjoy it for the sake of working on it mm. that I'm looking for. So it's like just how I'm evolving as a person. My target is fuzzy. It's just yeah, yeah. I'm sort of like going along with it. And I think the one of the most interesting things right now is just, it's funny to say this, it's general intelligence. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like kind of silly. I'm trying, I'm trying to work on understanding the thing that like almost ruined me. Yeah, but it's, but you have a new, completely new approach to it. And there's a presence of, it's hard to just, a presence of mind to that process as opposed to your being used by that and taken to different things and given rules that you're operating in accordance with and all of that. Now you're like, it sounds like, I know you didn't say it like this, but it sounds like you're approaching it just like with a pure enjoyment and excitement, a humility just to see what's next. Yeah. I think excitement and humility are just, and I connect for that one. Very much humility. Towards everybody, almost. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So what, what, why general intelligence and what do you hope to discover and, and what part do you hope to play in, in kind of adding to that field? So I think it's deeply rooted in this problem of utility. I believe that an approximation to general intelligence would be would would definitely suffice, and I would hope that that approximation is something that can help uh, sort of prolong the existence of of what we are on the planet. I think that's it. So purely to extend consciousness, prolong consciousness. Yeah, I want to give people the chance to have a shot at this. Like, who am I to 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 use all of the resources and not let three generations down the line from having the same experience. 
that that's wrong to me. In terms of the existence of of humanity, or what do you mean by that? Yeah, but I mean yeah, the existence of humanity, a hospitable planet. Yeah. Right. It's just like it's kind of sad if two generations is done because the the Earth went down the sort of like rabbit hole of of uh, climate effects and maybe political issues and maybe whatever it is, right? Yeah. Like nuclear war or something. I just feel and hope again. It's a hope thing that I could work on something that will actually provide enough utility to like solve some of these larger problems. Yeah. But one of those uh, catastrophic potentialities, that's not a word, right alongside, is it? Right alongside climate change and nuclear warfare is artificial intelligence taking over and, you know, destroying us. Or at least neglecting us and leaving us to ruin to some sort, to some degree. Right, and this is where I want to piggyback off of Meme One. I, I think that one of the Meme One, Meme One, yeah, <laughs> one of the best case scenarios, if I think about it, and I'm not thought too hard about it, is the fusion. It is augmenting ourselves with that and seeing what happens. Because it, it currently seems inevitable. All of those things, all of those propositions seem mm-hmm. inevitable. And I want to be working on the one that seems the most hopeful for us to stick around. And that is the one. So do you, do you intend or hope to work alongside the efforts of Neuralink and their team and what they're doing? Or do you, what, where do you see yourself playing a role in that, that world? I was actually thinking about this on a walk today. I think I am slowly coming to learn that perhaps I have a more uh, uh, what is the word? I'm I'm more of like an assistant role. I'm more of like a what is the word? What you know what I'm talking about? Like an like a apprentice? No, not apprentice, but it's like sidekick. Whatever the equivalent of that is. I'm more of like a. I believe I have this ability to express my excitement that hopefully gets people excited and awake, right? And I think if I keep working on the things that I work on, which might be philosophy, (laughs) and uh, just communicate my excitement about those things and do it with people who are also excited about what they do, and maybe a group or someone somewhere along the lines who wouldn't have otherwise, who is the Newton, comes along. Uh, uh, a catalyst. Yeah, a catalyst, that's the one. Yeah. You see yourself as inspiring the group or the individual that is ultimately going to contribute towards the significant advancement of artificial general intelligence. Essentially. I think it's like the law of large numbers thing again, where it's like, Hopefully, if I, I help wake up 10 people or 100 people or whatever it is, maybe a fraction of them actually go on to help us live out a bit longer, peacefuler, peacefuler, <laughs> more peacefully. So we're wrapping up, uh, or we're approaching an hour 40. Maybe we'll conclude here, but... Um, I have two more questions, at least, that I'd, I'd like to ask. 
one is what excites you most about the future? I think it's questions being answered and questions being posed. Those are the two things. Questions being answered about stuff that I've wondered about. Maybe it's consciousness. And then questions being asked that I could have never conceived. Because I think that will help me to really confirm the suspicion that I already have about existence. It's like weird evidence that when I was playing that meditation game that I was, I was really right. The feedback. Hmm. All right. Not, this is a fun one. More of a fun one. And it's random. What do you believe is true that almost nobody agrees with you on? Pineapples on pizza kind of thing. Pineapples on pizza. This is the ultimate hinge dating profile question. <laughs> oh, so choose wisely. I think if I had to bet we are in pods somewhere with slowed, slowed down perception, and this is probably not base reality. You'd probably be right on that. Not a lot of people think that. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people know what base reality even means or what pods are. Yeah, I don't know what pods are. <laughs> Maybe they're pineapples. <laughs> so this is not this is not base reality. We're living in a simulation, and uh, this is all meaningless. It's not meaningless. And furthermore, this is as real as it feels to me, and it doesn't matter if we are floating around in space somewhere, because we actually are, I mean, we are floating around in space somewhere, right? It doesn't make it any difference from, different from me. I think the people I know are still very real, the relationships I have are still very real, and I will do what it takes to, uh, to keep building those build new ones and keep doing what I'm doing. Maximize this existence, even if it's... Yeah, why should it matter? So you wouldn't take like a deterministic approach of like it's faded, who cares kind of thing. It sounds like you're taking the opposite saying, even if that is the case, I'm going to leverage what I know and what I am for the greater good. Yeah. just And, and, and I think the, the thing I'm aligning myself with here is I'm, I'm curious. I'm exploring the curiosity, but also it's enjoy. It's enjoy enjoyment. It's like enjoy enjoyable. That's the word. Yeah. That's what it seems like from talking to you for this past hour 45, hour 45, that there's a joy to this process and not a heaviness to it, even though the, the concepts that you're discussing are, are heavy. Yeah. You want to say it like that? Pretty deep, uh, to say the least. Yeah. Um, Najib, man, I am glad that, uh, Fate would have us living in the same Airbnb. You're uh, an awesome dude. And uh, I know you just started a podcast as well. But where, where can people find you, get a hold of you, reach you? What's your number? What's your... In- Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just any final words or just anything you want to say, take, take the stage. It's funny enough, uh, my, my podcast is called Najib Gets Excited. That's legit. <laughs> That's it. Find me on Spotify. I, I don't really have social media. 
Smart man. Done. That's it. It's been a pleasure.